All right, get your notes out. You ready? You, if you want to take some notes and read, read your Bibles a little bit tonight, you good with that? This is going to be different. <laughs> I think I always say that, but anyway, it's just it's always different. Um, I want to talk about like three spirits to avoid. So this is a believer service. This is kind of a deeper level service. This, this would typically go over people's heads on a Sunday morning a little bit because we have a lot of guests and, and pre-believers, as I like to say. Um, so this, I want to talk to you about three spirits that we need to avoid. And we cannot, if I was put a motto, motto, I'd say you cannot tolerate these. We cannot tolerate them. All right? So I'll start just, and this is really fresh, so this is coming out, this is coming out for the first time. I've never spoke on this. I've talked about things like this, but never spoke on this. Man, do I need my glasses right now. Okay. Praise the Lord. When I'm tired, sometimes it's like this. John 2.24, I'm just going to read from, and then John 6.64. I'm talking about uh, Jesus here. It says in John 2, <laughs> hello, wifey, pray for me. There we go, somewhere back there. I think so. It's, thanks. It says this. It says, but this is what happens when you turn forward or something. Uh, it says, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. Jesus would not entrust himself to them because he knew all men. That's John 2.24. John 6.64 says, <laughs> this is funny, I've never... John 6.64 says, I think this is 6.64, Yet there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. So Jesus, you know, he knew all people. He knows each person. He doesn't need testimony of people. He can discern. He has the leadership discernment, and then he also has the gift of or discerning of spirits as well. Did you find them? Yes, no, maybe? Awesome. Thanks, baby cakes. Thank you, Vanna. <laughs> so John 2.24 is saying that Jesus knew all people, right? And, and you'll get this in a minute. And then 6.64, basically, we can see that he saw what was coming. In other words, he knew before the foundations of the earth that he would be slain. Jesus was before he came into the flesh. The Bible says in John 1.1, 1, 1, he was the word, and the word became flesh. The word dwelt among men, and we beheld him. The word existed in the beginning. The word, the logos, was what actually was spoken, you know, over the earth. Jesus existed before he was Jesus incarnate. He was known as he was the word. Is everybody tracking with me? And so he knew in the beginning God's plan. So he saw things coming. He was slain before the foundations of the world. He knew, in fact, that he would be betrayed. Now, I think we need to apply some of... Uh, the wisdom and counsel of God to our lives when it comes to avoiding and protecting ourselves from certain things. I've actually, uh, this is not the best terminology, but I've learned to trust my gut. I'm learning to trust my gut. I'm learning to trust the, uh, let's just say, the intuitive qualities of a woman, in particular my wife, and, and, and discernment that she has. It's frustrated her because sometimes I don't. Um, but it's there for my, for my benefit and for my uh, for my blessing. But the first thing I think we, we need in order to avoid certain spirits, and I'll give you these three spirits in a minute, is you need, put this down, leadership discernment and Holy Ghost discerning. Leadership discernment and Holy Ghost discerning. And this can apply to everything from which kind of a job you should take, where you should live, how you should discipline your kids, 
you know, who you should marry. You know, uh, it, uh, leadership, discern, leadership discernment would say, don't date for just two months and think you know her and get married. Leadership discernment would say that, right? Sometimes we're praying for miracles. We need to pray for wisdom. Amen. So, so leadership discernment says that you don't know a person in just a couple of months because just a, because a, a couple of years later, you're going to be like, surprise, surprise, you know, there'll be some problems that surface, you know, so we need, but sometimes we need a discerning of spirits. We need a supernatural insight that doesn't require the testimony of a person. And that's what Jesus did in a lot of different situations. And sometimes that's going to play into your life and in your spiritual development. So I want to give you three spirits to avoid. All right. Here's the first spirit. The spirit of the betrayer, or you could say the traitor. The spirit of the betrayer or the traitor. Have you ever been betrayed? Has anybody ever been betrayed here in the room? You know, you know what it's like to be betrayed? It hurts. I have, I have names in my notes that I wouldn't recall, that I wouldn't say out loud, but I have them because I wanted to, in a sense, connect with them. You know, I've forgiven them, but I, I, remember, I remember some tough situations kind of made me bleed a little bit. My wife and I have determined to live in relationships vulnerable, not stupid or foolishly vulnerable, but just like allow yourself to be hurt from time to time. And sometimes it hurts bad, really bad. And, and, um, and sometimes it can, I don't know, it can feel like it leaves a mark. You know, sort of like a, it, can be, it can feel like a scar at times. But it's important for you to know that if you've been betrayed, that you're not alone. God in heaven had Lucifer, Lucifer betrayed and turned his back on God the Father. Jesus had Judas. Jesus was betrayed. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Paul had Demas. I don't know if you know who Demas was, but there's not a lot of reference to who he was, but he was one of Paul's companions who traveled with him. And I think it's somewhere in 2 Timothy, but it basically says that he loved the world and the pleasures of it, and he ended up leaving Paul and hurt him greatly. And so many people have been betrayed. And we all have or will be betrayed if we haven't. And when we believe and take, let's say, certain risks, there will be times where we can be let down. And a lot of times, you know, it doesn't hurt unless it's close friends or people that are, are near you, does it? You know? It's like uh, Pastor Randy, one, a very good friend of mine, I was going through something a few years back, and, and I was expressing some things to him, and he was trying to help me, give me a perspective. You know, he says, sometimes Pastor Derek, sometimes Derek, excuse me, I didn't say that, some, he calls me Middle D, because I used to be like 20 pounds heavier, and that's when he called me Big D, so now he calls me Little D. So, and so he says, uh, you know, some people, they're not building material in the house of God, they're scaffolding. They're there to just get it up, and then they're gone. And it just helped me. You know, he, I knew what he was trying to do. And, but even after that analogy, I was still like, it still stings. You know what I mean? Because, you, because when you're relational and you open yourself up. But the, I just want to, I want, as I keep going, I want you to know that the reward of being vulnerable in relationships far outweighs the risk and the pain right. in the long run, even though it hurts sometimes. I think it's supposed to hurt. But sometimes people, you know, who betray you or will or could, you know, they say things like, to me, this is just my story. It can be different for you. I will never leave this church, Pastor. I want you to know I will never leave this church. When people say stuff like that, I go, oh, inside. I go, hoo-hoo. I get a little nervous because they're kind of, sometimes there's the tendency to overpromise and underdeliver. You know, you are my pastor. You will always be my pastor. You know, hoo. People, this is what I wrote in my notes. People who are quick with flattery are dangerous. When people are there like two weeks and they're like, this is my church. I'm rooted. This is it. I, I, I. I'm not saying sometimes it's God. It is. 
But I'm just saying, sometimes, and this might be experience over Bible, but sometimes there's just a little bit of a caution flag that goes up for me. You know what I'm saying? But, but it's because, because betrayal can hurt sometimes. Betrayal happens. And trust me, it'll get, more, it'll get more rewarding as we go forward. But Matthew 26, look in your notes, Matthew, or maybe not your notes, but if you want to look in your Bibles, that's right. We're all going to look in our Bibles today. Matthew 26, I'm going to refer to this, this text with Jesus and Judas. Matthew 26, verse 14. It says this. It says... Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So, so they counted for him 30 silver coins. From then Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but I was thinking about this idea of a betrayer. We have a biblical example, and, and sometimes we have personal examples, and I thought of a historical example. One of my favorite leaders in the world, probably, I'm not, consider myself a very good historian, especially when I was in school, but now that I'm out of school, I love history. And um, George Washington, you know, I think was a phenomenal leader, but there was a man that betrayed George Washington. Does anybody know who that was? Benedict Arnold, yeah. And so his name is kind of synonymous with traitor or betrayer in American history. And basically, he was somebody who came right alongside George Washington. He was there. He was one of his generals. And I don't think you'll ever be portrayed by somebody that you never trusted. And so we need leadership discernment and we need the discerning of spirits in order to be able to uh, be healthy and be able to move forward and be able to grow in our faith. But George Washington wrote the traits of a betrayer, and this is from some of his logs. He looked back in hindsight, and here's some things that he said, and I'll just highlight a few things. It said, he said this, betrayers are victims who, this is in hindsight. Isn't it amazing how, how much you learned in hindsight? We need to really learn more on the front end, don't we? But betrayers are victims who never get over their offenses. In other words, you may not realize this, but Benedict Arnold, he left his wife. He had a horrible marriage. He had a lot of uh, rejection that he faced uh, professionally. He actually pretended to be crazy in order to get attention from uh, the government and from the military. But the spirit of a betrayer tells stories about people who've wronged them. These are some of the attributes that he noticed. Uh, if, in fact, if, you, if you're not careful, you'll get around a betrayer and they'll be telling stories about people who hurt them. As they'll be telling you those stories. And if you're not careful, in six months, you'll be one of those stories. Because it's the spirit. It's a spirit that's on them. It's a, it's a mentality. And, and, and a lot of times they'll go from one relationship to the next because it's a spirit of betrayer. And that, it's, it's like that movie is coming to a cinema near you if you don't watch out. So you have to be able to have leadership discernment and the discerning of spirits about that. Another thing that George Washington said about Benedict Arnold is he was bold and brash. He had a sense of entitlement. The spirit, in other words, it's very, it's very arrogant. They think kind of everybody owes them. Uh, you got to beware of people like this. In Benedict Arnold's case, he betrayed his country, and yet in, in some of the writings, he writes, um, he writes his country, and while, after, he'd been, after he'd been found guilty and they'd apprehended him, he wrote a letter to George Washington saying, send me my clothes, please. Also, send me my wife, my bag, and belongings. In other words, they think about themselves. There was no consciousness of what they had really done. They were completely self-absorbed. The, these are attributes or characteristics sometimes of a traitor. Another thing that George Washington said, they're self-obsessed. Self -obsessed. 
Uh, this man turned his back on his nation for himself, and, and, he, and he basically, his wants were seemingly more important than anything else. A lot of times, traitors are narcissistic. It's all about them. There's kind of a huge expectation and very little appreciation. Judas was like this. Judas said, what will you give me if I hand them over to you? That's what Judas said. Judas was, Judas was kind of stealing, as you know, from uh, the offerings that would come in. He, was the, he, he, was, he handled the, the money for all the disciples that were traveling. You guys all know that, right? You know how we know that? Because Judas might have been the traitor, but, but, the traitor, but John, the beloved, was the tattletale <laughs> because he put it all. That's funny. I don't care what you say. But John put that stuff in there, and he would throw those. It's just funny how he would do that. But when Judas realized that Jesus was going to die, then this is where I think the spirit got on him because he realized he had been taking money systematically for himself. And then when he realized, Jesus started talking about his death. And then ultimately, he said he was going to die. And when, when Judas realized that Jesus was going to die, he realized that the money was not going to keep coming his way. And so he would leverage his opportunity to get the most he could for Jesus for himself. Did you get that? This is what a traitor will do. This is what that spirit will do. He was taking money for himself. Judas was happy to be the treasurer for a long time. But when he realized that his financial gain was going to seize up and dry up, then things begin to change. And that's what happens to a traitor. When they realize that what's benefiting them is going to go away, they'll turn on you. They'll turn on you. Here's another thing. His, he said his face never matched his words. He said, he said things like, his peculiar manner puzzled me. In other words... This would be our terms. Something just isn't right with that guy. So George Washington knew before he had, maybe this is the discerning of spirits, but he wasn't following through on it. Have you ever had, we call it as Christians, the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. So we have the word that's guiding us and directing us. We have circumstances that are speaking to us that are visible and natural. But sometimes we have a spiritual voice, an inner voice, the Holy Spirit whispering in our ear and saying, don't go that way, go over here. You better be careful. Caution. Step. Go out. Move out. Let's go. Let's go. And sometimes we're not listening to that inner witness of the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's what was happening in George Washington's life. There's just something. I've hired people in the school years ago and in ministry today, and I had the circumstances, and I could say the word was supporting me, but I didn't check the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, and I violated one of those rules and principles of hearing from God, and it bit me many, many, many times. So that's the first spirit. Here's the second spirit. So we have the spirit of a traitor or a betrayer, but now the spirit of Absalom. Everybody say Absalom. Absalom. Are you guys ready for a meaty message? Are you getting something out of this? Okay. So 2 Samuel chapter 15. This is kind of a leadership lesson. Okay? A little different. 2 Samuel chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 1 and following. Absalom for those of you who don't know, was King David's, one of King David's sons, okay? This is known as Absalom's conspiracy. In the course of time, everybody say the course of time, Absalom provided for himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. I could do a message just on that. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. So he didn't have much responsibility other than to stand by the side of the road and watch people as they came in. Anyway, so... Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, Hey, what town are you from? He would answer, Your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. 
Then Absalom would say to him, look, your claims are valid and proper, but there is no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, if only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or a case could come to me and I would see that he gets justice. Also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. Who else kissed somebody and betrayed them? Judas, right, with Jesus. Verse 6, Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice, and so he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Now, you need to discern someone with an Absalom spirit. You need to discern it sometimes in your company, in your small group, in relationships that people have with those that you love, within your church. I kind of put this in my notes. You know, are they popularity focused? Is it good for them? Or are they people focused? Is, is, is it good for the people? And, and, and who, are, who, are they, who are they connecting people to? Who are they connecting people to? I've heard people say things like this. This, this is an actual example that happened to me one time. A person said to me, uh, I just want to let you know I'm leaving the church. And I said, of course, I never like hearing that, but I said, why? He said, well, no one visited me in the hospital. I haven't, this, is not only, this is not the first time I've heard something like this. Said, no one visited me in the hospital. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, you know, we, we, this is back when we had a particular um, well, I don't get into all the particulars, but there were several people that used to do visitations for us, and one of them was awesome, and he was phenomenal at it, and he went on to be with the Lord, but there was another person who was a leader in our church, and he went to do it, and, and so I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure, you're saying no one came to see you, nope, no one came to see me, and so I went back, and I asked this guy, I said, hey, so-and-so was in the hospital, did you go see so-and-so? Well, yeah, I did. So then I went back to the person, I said, did so-and-so, did anybody come see you? No. Then I said, did so-and-so come and see you? They said, well, yeah, but he's my friend. <laughs> and so then I thought to myself, well, wait a second, he's your friend. But, and then I dug in a little bit more, went back to the person, started asking questions. And basically, this person wasn't going, representing the church. We were actually, this person was in a leadership position to do so. So they were going as a friend. I found out further this person was writing notes to people who were in church and, and, and things like that and signing their name to it instead of signing it from the church. So they were, in, do you understand where I'm going with this? They were endearing the hearts of the people to themselves and not to the vision of the church. How many know that I can't go visit everybody in the church? Anybody, everybody that's been sick. It's not possible anymore. It's literally impossible. Okay, and so, so we tried to create a healthy structure within our church. Most of our small groups, that's why I encourage people to get in small groups because they're better at ministry than, than a, a core, a staff. You know, we don't want a staff that just gets bigger, 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 bigger. We want a church that gets healthy, healthy, healthy. And a New Testament model is, for the, is to have people meeting from house to house and people be ministered to in the context and safety of something small, small groups. Amen. So this particular person was endearing people themselves, and he was stealing the hearts of the people and, you know, signing cards from, from him. I'm not saying he couldn't have his name on it, but he should have just said, you know, on behalf of the church, we just want to let you know that we're praying for you and we're thinking about you. Maybe, maybe just to take it up another notch, you know, on behalf of the leadership or even Pastor Derek and Stacy, just want you to know we're, we're, we're in your court and we're believing God for you. And I think it's important. A lot of times, here's another example. A lot of times I see this with leadership. People want to come in and they want to they do something great for God. That's great. Our vision is to help people fulfill their vision. It really is. But there's a, how many know there's a timing and there's a season for those kind of things? Yes or no? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, so, so this is what I learned with my relationship with my father. My father's the founder of this church. He started this church. There was nothing, nothing. When I say nothing, everything was by faith. Everything happened by faith. 
There was no archdiocese. There wasn't so, some denomination where we could borrow money from. This all started just basically as a family. You know, we had Friday night meetings, you know, and just, I don't even know how we advertised. We didn't know anything. We just, it was just by faith. And then over time, just built a ministry, reaching hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people over time. But I can remember just, you know, when God called me into the ministry, and I knew that was supposed to happen, and, and, and I just remember God gave me a word. He just said, you know, unless at the time our church name was Metro's Worship Center. He said, unless Metro's Worship Center divorces itself from you, you're in covenant with that church. And so I knew that I was supposed to stay here. I wasn't supposed to go and plant a church. I knew at some point, someday, I would be the successor of my father. That was, and if I didn't have that word, I can tell you, I wouldn't have, been, I wouldn't have made it. I wouldn't be here right now. A word from God is really important in your life. Because you're going to have to stand on that because you may think somebody's going to go with you and something's going to go well and all these things are going to happen exactly the way you think they're going to happen. And when they don't, you better be able to go back to a word from God that he gave you. You need your own burning bush experience on some in certain things. Amen? And so I stood on that word, and that helped me through so many different things. But I can remember along the way, the enemy always trying to, 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 to tempt me to take what was mine before it was time. You know, to, to, and I just thought, I, I'm not saying that it was a big struggle because my wife will probably push back on this I'm, because, because I'm a pretty submitted personality, but I never wanted to be an Absalom. Never wanted to be an Absalom. And I think about like Luke 16, it says, be faithful in that, Luke 16, be faithful to principle in that which is another man's and God will give you your own. So when you're in somebody else's vineyard, it's, this isn't mine, but this is, this is God's, but I'm the under shepherd of this vineyard, Right? Yes or no? Does anybody understand like this? I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm still like, whoa, we need to get, we got some work to do here. But so, so, I'm, so I'm, I've been appointed, not necessarily by, by, uh, by perfect, you know, uh, performance, but appointed by God as the pastor of this church. So as the pastor of this church, this is a vineyard that I'm, I'm responsible for, right? So somebody comes in and God's called them maybe to do something here, great, or do something here and go someplace else. It's important you're faithful in that, which is another man's. So that God gives you your own. And you, 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 let him, you let him promote you. Let God promote. Say, man, man doesn't promote. Is that good? So other, but sometimes people won't do that. And so they try to get ahead of God and get ahead of the Holy Spirit. And they never, they don't go further faster. They slow down in, the, in an ultimate sense. And so many leaders have jumped out ahead of the Holy Spirit many, many, many times. So be, beware, be careful of the Spirit. I wrote some things down. Are they connected to people? Are they, excuse me, are they connecting people to themselves or to the vision? Um, sometimes this particular Spirit, this Absalom Spirit, they look for complainers. They may be legitimate complaints, but in this particular text, Absalom cuts them off and he, he and, and undermines and usurps godly authority. So he literally cuts them off before they can get to the authority. So this is a physical example. Are you guys, getting, is this fun? Is anybody liking this? You all look really serious. I can, we can wrap it up. I just want to make sure you like it. Okay. You're like, somebody, nobody looks good out there. Okay. All right. Just making sure. You know how I like talking back. All right. So, so he engages them. They're, they're complaining, but he steps in the middle of all that, tries to usurp them. And, and in this text, they were coming in with perhaps legitimate complaints that the king could have addressed and handled, but Absalom, he cuts them off and did not allow their voice to be heard before the king. And so he was usurping. You got to see this. He was usurping godly authority. That's dangerous to do that. It doesn't mean he's a perfect man, but he was appointed. You know, David, King David, realized this better than his son Absalom did. King David said, touch not God's anointed. Saul was throwing spears at him and trying to kill him. Saul was pursuing him all over the land. But David still wouldn't lay a hand on him. 
One time David was in a cave, in the cave of Adullam, and he's hiding way in the back. You guys heard me talk about this before. And they're, they're hiding. And the king himself, by himself, walks into the cave to go to the bathroom. And the men are like, this is your chance. It's a God thing. Take him out. You know? And he took a little bit of his, his skirt you know, off his, off his cloak, off his cloak with a, with a sword, just so he could say to the king later, I was there, you know it, and don't, don't misinterpret it. And then he came out, and they were so mad because they're like, you could have had his head. You could have been king right then. God put him, the enemy, in your hand. But because of a principle of God that was higher than a circumstance and how man would interpret something, he would not do that. He said, if I take the king this way, then if I, those kind of things are going to happen to me later on. What goes around comes around. And so he wasn't going to do it like that. Amen? So when you usurp godly authority, even if it's not perfect, it is dangerous, dangerous, dangerous for you. So here's another thing I wrote down. The spirit, the spirit, uh, um, this Absalom spirit, it identifies with people. So when you look in this first, this guy, hey, where are you from? This is the first thing that this Absalom spirit did. Hey, where are you from? Oh, I'm from, I'm from the tribe of Israel. Oh, my gosh, I am too. So what's up? What's going on? Oh, man, we're kind of upset about some things. We're going to bring some complaints to the king, and we're kind of ticked about taxation without representation or whatever they were upset about. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a bad deal. Yeah, you know, yeah, I totally identify with that. That is a problem in our society today. You know what? If I was in charge... Uh, this is what I would do. This is how I would handle that situation. And so he, basically he's saying, I agree with you. And the spirit seeks to separate people from their leaders. They agree with the negativity. And he said, oh, the king won't hear you. The king's not going to hear you. You won't have a voice. And they make you feel, this, this, this Absalom spirit, they make you feel hopeless. Oh, you know what? The church, I'm not sure they really care about you. Your leader, your small group leader, he doesn't really care about you. Your pastor, he doesn't really care about you. And so what they'll do is, this is interesting, they'll use, they'll use your hurt to advance their cause. Oh, I hope you catch what I'm saying here. This is what the Absalom spirit does. They don't just identify with your hurt, but they'll turn it and they'll use your hurt to advance their cause. Listen, he says, if only I were the judge. They're using you. Absalom spirits use people. They're furthering their plans. People who talk about leaders, they might be talking about you too. People want to be in the know, tell you things they shouldn't. They'll try to convince you that only they can help you and things like that. This spirit will kiss anyone that will bow down to them. And this, this can happen with influences. You know, I think about influences. You be careful about who's influencing your children. Who are the primary influencer and voices in your children's lives? Because sometimes you can be investing in somebody that care, that your spiritual children, your small group. Your, your, I think about this with the church. Sometimes I'm thinking about certain people, certain leaders. I know one particular person. I love him so much. Uh, he and his wife, very close to, to my wife and I, um, they don't live here anymore. But I used to say, oh, you know what? He has a gypsy spirit. He could not root himself anywhere. And he, he would never, and he had an Absalom spirit because he would never, he would, he would always identify with other people. He had all these other voices that he was listening to. And so he was all over the map. He was all over the map and confused, and, str and struggled. And so this can happen with influences. We need to be careful who you let influence you and the voices that are speaking into your life. Here's the third spirit, right? Ready? So the betrayer, the traitor. The second one is the Absalom spirit. The third one, I bet people could guess this one. The third one is the Jezebel spirit. 
the Jezebel spirit, all right? Now, I want to put some fresh stuff on this that you probably don't know or never heard. So, how many have ever heard of the Jeze Jezebel? Anybody ever heard of Jezebel? All right, I've cast a few Jezebel spirits out in my days and run into a few Jezebels as well. Um, for those of you who've been around a while, you know what I'm talking about. All right, I'm going to be reading from Revelation chapter 2, verse 18 and following. All right, if this goes over your head, I pray by the Holy Spirit you assimilate a lot of this stuff and you'll be able to contextualize this and process this over time. This is Sunday night, so it's just a little bit deeper and I can't unpack everything for you perfectly. All right, so, but this is the Jezebel spirit. Uh, Revelation 2.18, and there's the, the Old Testament parallel text for this is, I think, 1 Kings 19. So it says, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, I write, Jesus, by the way, is writing to the church in the end times. That's what this revelation is all about. Uh, somebody asked me if we ever talk about or read from the end times. Well, here you go. So it says, just today, they said that. These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like, oops, yeah, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burning bronze. I know your deeds. So he's talking to a church here, the church of Thyatira. And he's basically saying, I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, and your perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. So Jesus starts right out commending this particular church. Good job. You're doing well. I like that. I like that. I like that. All right? Everybody tracking? Nevertheless. <laughs> when you see a nevertheless, get ready. It says, I have this against you. Now, how many know that God has a right to correct his church? <laughs> so he's getting ready to correct his church. And this is what he says to one of these seven churches in Revelation. He says, you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. So his issue is we're tolerating a spirit. He's not talking about just a person. He's talking about a spirit here. I'll explain in a minute. Who, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality, into eating of food, sacrifice to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. Okay, so basically Jezebel's spirit is just that. It's a spirit. God says in so many words, there, there will be consequences if we don't repent of tolerating this particular spirit. And there's, thank God, always room for repentance if we, excuse me, forgiveness if we repent. So there's a good church doing good things, faith, perseverance, and good deeds, etc. But he says you've tolerated, you've allowed You've coexisted with this Jezebel spirit and with this prophetess. And the spirit of Jezebel is not, just write this down, the spirit of Jezebel is not a strong woman. <laughs> Don't misinterpret this, okay? Many insecure men see strong, godly women and call that person a Jezebel, call her a Jezebel, and nothing could be further from the truth. There are just some women who are just really strong. Like my wife, for example. Like Joan Legassi, for example. Like Joyce Perkins, for example. I could go, I could go all around. There's all kinds of people, and sometimes you can look at them, like Valeria, for example. There's some people, you can look at them, and you can interact with them, and insecure people can just say, oh, they have a Jezebel spirit. So Jezebel spirit, by the way, is not exclusive to a woman. It's not just necessarily just a strong woman. Sometimes a strong woman has a Je Jezebel spirit, but we just can't categorize strong women as Jezebels. It's all quiet in here, but that's okay because women don't want to say amen because they're afraid and men don't want to say amen because they could get squashed like a bug or something like that. So, so <laughs> but the church needs strong women in the church. It needs it bad. And, and this is not what scripture is talking about. For example, I love Joyce Meyer. I got to be around Joyce Meyer recently and just I've listened to her multiple times. And if you don't think for, there's room for a woman to speak in the church, you are biblically uninformed. 
And perhaps, perhaps you've got either chauvinistic attitudes or things like that, and we just need to repent. But this spirit isn't a woman. It's a spirit. Everybody say it's a spirit. It can be on a man, just to make it clear. It can be on a man. And you and I sometimes are allowing it to control us. It's more commonly on a woman. I'll explain maybe why in a little bit, either directly or contextually. But how do we know if there's a Jezebel spirit? Well, this is my simple litmus test. How do you know if there's a Jezebel spirit that you're dealing with, you're confronting? It's probably someone that you dread or fear confronting. It's probably someone you dread or fear confronting. You have, uh, you have unknowingly or knowingly allowed someone, permitted someone to control you, and you are tolerating it. I know a pastor, he's a good friend of mine, he's going through a very difficult time in his life right now, and he was controlled by his mother, who has a Jezebel spirit. And, and this particular mother, you know, uh, she was creating havoc in the church, endearing people to herself, you know, uh, saying, you don't want to go to him, you want to go to me, I have more wisdom, I have more, I have more insight, I know what's really going on, and it was creating all kinds of problems in the church. I could tell you some amazing stories, that, and, but he tolerated it, he tolerated it. When she'd come to church on a Sunday morning, they had created an environment where the lost would want to come, pre-believers would want to come and enjoy church, but she would have an entourage around her where she came into the auditorium or into the sanctuary of leaders around her, and it was just very odd and peculiar, and they would sit around her, and they'd wait on her hand and foot, and there was just inordinate, you know, uh, authority structure about it, and they would do this for her and do that for her, and, and then she would be very demonstrative and loud during the worship, calling all kinds of attention to herself, and sometimes she'd try to take them, she would take the mic and say things and do things that were not in cooperation and submission to the direction and leadership of the church, and ultimately, he tried to buffer it and put people around her when she was sitting in certain places and, and kind of try to stop and impede her from doing this or doing that, but eventually, eventually, he had to deal with the spirit directly and confront it and rebuke it, and she eventually left the church. You know what she did? She started a church five minutes down the road and named it something just radical just to, just to express how different and how divided she was with her son. Imagine this. Her, the husband stayed with the son at the church. Imagine that. This Jezebel spirit was so, so strong. Power. Wow. It's just strong. It's a strong spirit sometimes. But it can be more subtle sometimes. A pastor I know uh, recently I was talking to and he just wouldn't talk about money in church. And he was, uh, as I began to dig and talk to him and, and interact with him, he said there was a person who gave a lot. And that person would say to the pastor, I don't like it when you talk about money so much. You should change how you say this and change how you say that. Even send scripts to the pastor on what he should put in his sermons. Whew. Wow. And, and I said, you know what? Please introduce me to that person because that person is who's in charge of this church, not you. I said, buddy, we got to deal with this. We got to get into this. Don't live with the fear of man. It was a good church doing good things, but it was tolerating a spirit that was controlling the church. And so we can't blow this off. And I think about things that you see in culture today where it's kind of like laughed upon. Anybody watch the show, Everybody Loves Raymond? Come on. I love that show, right? But we joke and we laugh about the mother-in-law, right? You know, but she's controlling the family, right? You know what I mean? So we kind of, there's, sometimes we, 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 we mock it or we, or we make fun of it or whatever, but, but there's places where it should not be tolerated according to what Jesus said in his word. And people through the years, you know, I think about this, they've tried to control me and my wife and different things, in particular financial areas. I remember when I was installed and I was talking about this at this conference I was just at, we had this panel of pastors and they were asking us to share some of the biggest ministry mistakes we've ever made 
And so uh, naturally, I, I, I was well qualified for that opportunity. And so I can remember um, just sharing, you know, how when I was installed as a senior pastor, the, 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 the successor to my father and the second pastor of this church, there was an installation service. It was really powerful. But I can remember my father, you know, exhorting me, you know, never to be uh, uh, submitted to or subject to the girls, the gold, and the glory. You know, and I can remember thinking when he was going through those different things, you know, how, how serious and how sobering that those particular things were. But in, re- in retrospect, I remember looking back and just thinking, you know, I don't, think, I don't think money would ever corrupt me. You know, I'm not really, I just don't see that. I just, I don't feel like, I don't feel like that's something that my heart would be prone to. You know, uh, I got to be careful over here and I got to be careful over there. But money, I, I, I don't think it could ever corrupt me. But then the Holy Spirit spoke to me. It might not corrupt you, but it can control you. And those are two different things. And I can remember years later, I was sitting down with some people in the church, and they were ha- I was having some issues with them. And I just felt like the wife was just uh, kind of rubbing me the wrong way on certain things, and I was trying to get this vision moving in this direction, and, and she was always pulling it in this direction. And this particular couple gave a lot of money to the church. I mean, a lot of money. At the time, it was 20% of our budget, the whole budget. And so... Uh, I said, you know, we're going to have to have a meeting. I want to sit down and talk to you. And I, I'll be honest with you, I was scared. I was, I was, in some respects, I was under the control of this particular spirit, but I knew that the Holy Spirit was trying to get me to deal with this. And so we sat, I sat down with this couple, and we started talking about this vision. And, 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 and there was just this control to try to get me to change, to conform, because they didn't want to leave. They wanted to lead. And I just said, and I remember the Holy Spirit saying to me, how much is your vision worth? And I'm thinking, yeah, but they give this. It was, let me just tell you something, it was a lot of money, just being honest. And I thought, you know what, <laughs> I, I just can't, I just can't compromise. It was a test. Am I going to tolerate this or am I going to do something about this? And so I just remember saying to him in so many words, just saying, you know what, we have division because you have a vision and I have a vision and we can't, a house divided against itself can stand. We can't go on like this. I'm sorry, I love you guys, but it can't be like this. And they said, well, that, that's it. We're done. And they made a couple little pot shots about different things that I did and th- different things that I said. But ultimately, it was about vision. And they got up and they walked out. And as they were walking out, in my head, I'm thinking, I can change. I can change. You know what I mean? And they shut the door and I dropped to my knees and I cried. I felt that control being broken, though, the spirit being broken as they left. And I had this wrestling match. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, somebody's budget just went, whoo. Somebody's salary just went, whoo. Do you know what? It was months before God replaced all that income with not one person, but multiple people who weren't looking for anything. They were submitted, they were following, they were contributing in every way, and they're totally supportive to the vision. And that was an awesome test to pass, but I had to not tolerate a Jezebel, a Jezebel spirit, amen? And people do that in your lives sometimes. Many times people come through the church and they look at a big population and they say things like, network marketing companies. I'm not against network marketing companies. I believe in the principle of relationships. People give to relationships, all right? But a lot of these network marketing companies are built on greed, compensation plans that are built on greed. And so they'll say things to me like, Pastor, 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 I've got this great thing for you. You know what I mean? And they say things like, if you do this, you will never lack money, ever. And I can remember one time I was talking to one person, it was like, All right, we've had half a dozen people approach us, try to get meetings with us. I don't meet with any of them anymore. Don't do it. Just don't do it, because it compromises relationships. I've never, never done network marketing. We don't do it. We just don't do it. Did it one time, just for a little while. We did it one time, probably 20-something years ago. 
And um, never did it again. Just learned my lesson. It compromises relationships. If anything I'm going to do that's going to benefit me, if it, it, basically I would always try to do it. Unless you can make all the revenues go to the church and not go to me, I can't do it. Not one of them can do it because they're all built on greed. Not all of them. I'm killing, I'm being too over the top here. But basically, if you do this, you'll be blessed. You'll never lack money. And I can remember the Holy Spirit saying to me in one of these recent encounters, last I checked, I'm Jehovah Jireh. I'm your provider, not them. Woo! I felt like the hair, you know, hair stand up on my, on my arms and my spine kind of lock up. I'm like, yeah, you are my supplier according to your riches in Christ Jesus. And there are times that I've made mistakes time and time again in this, but often it's because we've succumbed to the spirit of Jezebel. Amen? Are you tracking with me out there, you guys? So you got to be careful, and I'm just trying to get you to give you some examples and some illustrations, but you've got to apply this to your own life. You've got to apply this to your own circumstances. you got to see what's going on maybe with you. So let's see what I can do to finish this up. People, you know, people through the years, again, they've tried to do these things with me, and I'm sure they've tried to do it with you. There are times, uh, I, I discovered something. You can, you can uh, just listen to this. Basically, a Jezebel spirit cannot operate without an Ahab spirit. A Jezebel spirit cannot operate without an Ahab spirit. So he was the king. And here's, here's another way to detect the Jezebel spirit is working in your life. The Jezebel seeks to attach itself to the leader and to leadership gifts always, always. And determined to use that gift for itself and against that person. So talk a, good, talk, talk a good talk kind of leader. That's what they act like. But ultimately, it's about what they can get out of the leader. The day you don't give them what they want, then the Jezebel will come after you. Are you guys following me out there? So this spirit of Jezebel, it will seek to attach itself to a king or to a leader or to somebody of influence. And their desire is to conquer that king for the benefit of power. A Jezebel spirit is full of insecurity, pride, fears, rejection. It's prideful, it's arrogant, it's manipulative, and it's controlling. And it can be in varying degrees, sometimes subtle, sometimes very overt. But back then, Jezebel was a real person. She was, in 1 Kings 19, we may look at that, she was a Syrophoenician woman. Syrophoenician, I've taught on that not too long ago, but there's just kind of a mixture, uh, uh, kind of a worldly mixture where we just kind of call things that are, that are evil good and, try to, and, we, and there's a mixture of witchcraft, there's a mixture of, 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 of sexual impropriety and things like that. It's a horrible uh, spirit. But she, basically, she wanted to worship Baal and foreign gods and bring that into Israel. And so Ahab lost his way. He lost his moral compass. He surrendered to, he lost his integrity, succumbing systematically to this Jezebel spirit. And she was just trying to corrupt it and control it. And, and this spirit's manipulative. And ultimately, the entire nation of Israel suffered because Ahab relinquished his leadership to this, to this, to this spirit. Are you guys tracking? So that's what Jezebel is like. The effects, the effects are um, the spirit always wants to be next to authority. It wants to get near the top. It wants to isolate you in order to destroy you, get you away from people, reduce your confidence, and it always leaves you feeling exhausted, exhausted. And so we see a story in 1 Kings. Uh, you guys want to look at that? 1 Kings 19, and we'll be done. How are we doing? We're doing good. David and the team, you guys can come up. If you wouldn't mind. First King chapter 19, basically, we see this story of Elijah. Everybody know who Elijah is? He was a powerful prophet, amen? 
Elijah was used mightily by God to uh, confront the prophets of Baal, hundreds of prophets of Baal, and basically had a big, uh, like, kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just confrontation, standoff. You know, if, if your God's the real God, then he should be, what's that? A throwdown, yeah. Uh, it's just like a big match, your God versus my God type of thing. And he was just very bold and strong and confrontational about it. And, you know, if your God's a real God, and let him come down here and consume this altar, which was, you know, uh, you know had a sacrifice on it. And, and then and see, if, see if your God can bring fire from heaven. And then, and then if he doesn't, then we'll know that. And if my God does, then my God's the one we should all follow and we should all serve. Just huge, huge, powerful, bold type thing. It's one of the most dramatic stories you see in the Bible in 1 Kings chapter 18. But uh, Elijah uh, confronts Ahab. My father and, and another elder in our church used to call Ahab the sissy king. But he calls, he, he, he kills basically all these evil prophets. And Ahab, even in, even in this circumstance that he's in, he couldn't see the wrong in his life. He was so blinded and so deceived. And so he makes Elijah his enemy, but he doesn't want to confront him. So Ahab tells Jezebel what Elijah has done. And what you need to know is, is dramatic a miracle as calling fire down from heaven to burn up all the sacrifice and lap up all the water that he had poured on this sacrifice uh, from heaven, as dramatic as that would be, that same Elijah who saw that miraculous intervention was scared to death of Jezebel. This spirit, and I just want you to know it, it is, it is, the spirit is strong. It's a strong spirit. Don't underestimate it. Look at this. Um, so 1 Kings 19, basically, I think verse 2, but it, basically Ahab is telling Jezebel, and then she threatens Elijah. Verse 2, I think it is. It says, so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, after she heard what Ahab told her, she said, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. She's threatening him intensely. And it says in verse 3, Elijah was afraid. You would think that he would be like, what? I just, did you see what just happened, sister? Did you, did you look back a little bit? Did you, did you see what God just did? Do you know, do you know how many times God has worked on my behalf? Even, even, I wouldn't be surprised if even the guy had a little bit of pride right there. Who? I don't even give the time of day. That just rolls off me like bugs off a windshield. No problem. Nope. He was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey even further into the desert, like he is getting out of Dodge. And he came to a broom tree, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. That's how powerful and controlling this spirit was. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. And then an angel touched him and told him to eat. And the angel came and gave him a certain amount of food. And that food, look at this, sustained him, sustained him for 40 days straight. That's how, that's some, that's a serious protein bar. You know what I'm saying, everybody? That is no joke. 
all right? But this spirit is strong, and Elijah even feared this spirit, and it will seek to isolate you and keep you away from other good, godly, encouraging counsel. It leaves you feeling exhausted. He prayed that he might die. He was depressed. And now, now what happens is when we get in this state, we're open to just crazy behaviors and crazy things. And a lot of times you'll see people or you can be in this situation and you're saying, why are they behaving this way? Because they might be under the influence of a Jezebel spirit. They might be under the influence of an Absalom spirit or a traitor, traitorous spirit or betrayer spirit. And so how do you get rid of it? Write this down. How do you get rid of this spirit or these spirits? The Bible already told us what to do in Revelation chapter 2. You don't tolerate them. Write this, write this principle down. Whatever you can tolerate, you cannot change. Whatever you tolerate, you cannot change. This is for everybody. This is for every single person in this room. And I know it's a little, we need leadership, discerning, discernment, and we need the discerning of spirits. I want you to stand up and I want to pray for you. And then we're going we're gonna to worship and we're going to go home. And we're going to be blessed and we're going to learn more. We're going to be armed to be forewarned is to be forearmed. Amen. To know the word, to rightly divide the word of truth keeps us from deception and from distortion and from being deceived. And so that's why God gives us this stuff. Amen. Did you guys, is that heavy? Are you guys like that?